So today on the podcast, we have Freddie Hunt. Freddie is the son of the late James Hunt, 1976 Formula One world champion. Uh, he's currently a racing car driver with his goal of making it to Le Mans. We have a great chat about uh, his memories of his father and some of the history there, uh, him running at Goodwood and his uh, resurgence as a, as a race car driver, and even chat a little bit about his, uh, his farm that he runs in Scotland. So if you guys enjoy this podcast, share it with some friends, subscribe, like, enjoy the show. I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, you're, uh, you're well on your way to uh, becoming a professional race car driver, is that that's right? Seems to be, yeah. It's um, yeah. This year's been going pretty well. I signed with Writer, the Writer Engineering, at the beginning of the season, and um, they're completely new to to um, you know, prototype racing. Uh, you know, they've got plenty of experience with GT and been very successful. Um, so we're we're all learning. I mean, I've done a little bit of LMP3 before. My teammate has not. The engineer has never never worked on these cars before. So we're really starting from from scratch at the beginning, and we're making good progress. I think. Right. And then, so I've only driven an LMP3 car once then they're, oh, they're spectacular cars. Like they're quick downforce, just, you know, insane on the forearms. Uh, but what series is it that, that you're racing in? Is it kind of, are you picking and choosing or are you hunting a championship? Um, the main series is Michelin Le Mans Cup. Okay. Uh, but the one we did this weekend was the German prototype cup. Oh, okay. Pro- I think it's a prototype cup, yeah, and that was just filling in for a couple of other drivers. They pulled out the last minute, and I assume that the team had already paid the entrance for the race, so that's why we we went ahead and did it. Okay, right on. Well, no, good thing you guys ended up winning. Yeah, 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 really. Um, It's great to be back at the Nurburgring. Two thousand nine was the last time I drove there, so it was nice to be back there. Unfortunately, we we didn't do the full GP circuit, but it was still cool. Right on. So you're uh, you are the manager or kind of responsible for the Hunt brand right now. Is is that correct? When did that happen? Um, so we kind of we effectively launched really in 2016. So that was the 40th anniversary of Dad's World Championship. I mean, we we registered the brand before that, but that was our sort of first major year. Okay. And so we run it together um, with the help of your consultants and. And we did have a manager with working, um, working for us, but that's now ended. And we're sort of, we want to, we've just gone through a sort of, uh, um, you know, phase, you know, re-looking at it and seeing what can we do. Uh, we decided we want to sort of work, you know, do it ourselves in-house, but we will be delegating individual aspects to, to, to certain people and companies. Right. So what was the impetus for that? Was it was it kind of the resurgence in Formula One? Was it the Rush movie? Did you guys were you guys able to have that in place before that movie came out? I, I'm just forgetting what date that came out. That was 2013. Actually, now okay. you no, now, now you mem- uh, mention it. My brother did some work with my uncle on a clothing line. And I think that was sort of prompted by my uncle saying, look, the, you know, the movie's coming out. Now is a good time to, to capitalize if you want to. Um, now, I had previously worked with my uncle in the past, and, and uh, so I didn't want to work with him again. <laughs> um, we had a very loving relationship. We, were, we weren't great working together. So I said, look, you, Tom, you, you, you go and do that with Uncle Dave if you like. Um, I'm, I'll step out of this one. And so that was, I think, just, just prior to the movie launch. Um, and needless to say that they, they did they did have a have a have an argument <laughs> and um, <laughs> but then then we sort of and that and that went quiet and then Uncle Dave died I can't remember what year but that I think he must have died in 2014 or 15 I think um, okay and, um, and then yeah 20, 2016 was when we we really got going right right so I want to I want to jump back to kind of your early childhood before we get into your racing career there. Uh, Paint me a, a, a picture of what you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, what you were born into. Um, you know, you're quite young when your father passed away, but what was life like? And I assume that was in, in Wimbledon. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we lived, um, yeah, in Wimbledon near, near the common, near the tennis courts. And I'm trying to remember, I mean, my parents divorced when I was two or three. My mum mm-hmm. 
um, but a house in Wimbledon as well. But we didn't stay there very long before we moved down to down to the countryside and met Sussex. Um, but those, I mean, it's a long time ago, and those memories are pretty faded. Um, but as soon as I got into the countryside, that's when I sort of came into my own. I was a, I was, I was a pretty feral, wild child. Um, most of my time was just spent, well, all of my spare time was spent out, out in the woods, you know, in the fields and woods, trying to catch everything I could see. I was fascinated with wildlife, you know. Um, and then, you know, I, I started riding around that age as well, but not too often. So my mother was from a, from a horse background. Her mother was a, was a racehorse trainer. Mm. Uh, her father was a huntsman, um, master of foxhounds. And so we, yeah, I, I started riding and then that got more and more frequent as I grew up. And then I got to the age of 13 and I kind of said to mum, I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit bored of this pony club, you know, it's riding, just eventing and show jumping and, and stuff. And she said, oh, do you want to try polo? So I did. Um, and I loved it. That really is definitely one of the greatest sports in, on this planet. It really is. Um, right. Well, I started playing polo and when I was 15, 16, I, I, I left school when I was 15, I think, 16, uh, to play professional polo. Um, but unfortunately, I only lasted two years. Well, not unfortunately, but um, it would have been unfortunate if I didn't meet racing. Right. So, so let me back you up there. So you, you, correct me if I misheard you, you left high school to go pursue a professional polo career? Yes. Wow. Okay. So you dropped out of school at, at 15 or 16 saying, hey, I'm going to go make a living playing polo. Yeah. Wow. Not very wise when you haven't got any money. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that was, that was my next question. And maybe I, I thought I was just being ignorant, you know, being from North America, being from Canada you know, polo seems like, uh, you know, the most elite upper class sport, even compared to racing. Is that is that a cr correct assumption? Yes, I mean, yeah, the money involved. I mean, it's, you're not talking Formula One money, but I mean, to for the high goal, for the top level of polo, let's say if you're a pro, you need two strings of horses, you know, one in one in the UK and you're in Europe where you're playing and then one in, in America or in Argentina or wherever, let's say. Uh, you know, each string, eight to ten horses, averaging probably maybe eighty grand a horse. Um, so, and you know, and the running costs of it all is you know, it, it's a lot. So, it, it's pretty big money. I mean, some some of the best horses are selling for one fifty to two hundred or so. I mean, my horse, the level I got to when I was eighteen, my horses rolled and knackered, and I needed, I need to, I needed to buy six new horses, and I probably would have had to spend twenty on each. Right. So like, do, I, I assume there are guys making a living once they get there, but it, I assume like racing, it takes a whole ton of money to get to that level. It was actually interesting. The, the, the weekends, so how it happened, my, my transition from polo to motorsport was, it was on a Friday and my horses were rolling naked. I was recovering from a throat infection at the time. My, my life was, you know, I was a bit down at the time. And sat down with mum and said, you know, what are we going to do? Because the horses are knackered, they can't do another season. So we thought, right, we'll sell the horses. And what's left of them, I mean, I probably would have got 10 grand for the whole lot. Six horses, they were really old and buggered. Um, and I'll try and get a job playing for another team. And then that same evening, I went, I popped into town to rent a movie. And um, went past the pub and went, oh, I can get a quick, quick beer in. And I bumped into a friend who invited me to the Gilbert Festival of Speed. So I went there the next day and, uh, and his girlfriend was driving a, a Maserati GT4. And she said, you know, do you want to drive it? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'd only had my driving license for a few weeks. And I'd never even, never even seen a race car since my father died, since I went to the Grand, going to the Grand Prix when I was five. Um, but I drove this thing and, and it was fantastic. And then I had to sort of, make the decision, my, the friend that took me, he was a polo player, the ex-racing driver. And he said, Freddie, look, you're, you're not a bad polo player, but you've got no money behind you, you know, and you did start a bit late. Uh, so I suggest you go racing. You've got, the, you've got the name, you have to work hard with it. And if you're, but if you like it and if you're good at it, you can make a career. Um, so I did that. And then when I saw sort of umming and ahhing, I think it was the next day, I, I bumped into Malcolm Borock, who was at the time the, the England polo captain. Now, and he said to me, his handicap was six, ranging from zero to 10, 10 being the best 
there's not very many of them. There's less 10 goals than there are, than there are Formula One drivers. They are elite. So six goals is pretty damn good. Um, and he said, look, I'm the, I'm, I'm the England probably two or three best, second or third best player in the UK. Um, I'm the England, I'm a captain of the England team. I'm lucky if I take home 20 grand profit at the end of the year. So. Yeah, there you go. Go racing. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, and backing up to when you were young, did you, who filled you in on your father's career? Was that, you know, kind of stories as you grew up always, or was that later in life that you kind of became curious? I think it was more since I started racing, really. Mm, um, wow. Much about him. I mean, I also knew a bit about him. Um, but I've learned so much more since starting racing. The, the amount of people that, you know, the old journalists that, that knew him and, and the old people that, you know, that knew him, that, uh, you know, I've got talking to those people and, and reading a lot more about his career. And um, I mean, the, the James Hunt, the biography, the Gerald Donaldson book, I think that's the only one that's actually approved by the family, apart from, mm. again, which was written when he was at Bidab alive. Um, that's actually a very um, sort of all-encompassing book of his career, very accurate. Um, so I learned a lot from that. But then the rest is just watching interviews. I mean, I saw an interview on, on YouTube last night that I hadn't seen before, which is cool, in 77. So, I, you know, the whole time I'm still seeing new bits of information, um, new photographs. People send photographs that they took in the 70s and haven't looked at since then. Um, so it's it's nice, and I hear new stories the whole time. It's great. Someone messaged me on Instagram the other day saying, hey, I, I used to have a bar in in, in Spain, and, and your, your dad and Sean Connery were locals. Not my favorite locals. Um, so if you want to hear some cool stories, you know, give me a call. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So your your father's fame it didn't really have much an effect, of an effect on you in your like in your younger days. No, I don't suppose it did. In my younger days, I mean, I didn't really know that... I knew my father was a Formula One world champion, but I didn't really know what that meant, really. Um, and I certainly didn't know, certainly among the British public, how loved he was. I had mm. no idea. Um, yeah, it was when I started racing, I started to realise the gravity of his, you know, who he was. Right, right. So when did you... Uh, you, so you quit. You quit polo. You got that that drive, a leisurely drive at Goodwood, uh, and then. So what was your kind of next step? Saying, "Hey, I want to. I want to go racing." What did you What did you do? I, I rang my uncle, Uncle Dave. So he he was Dad's youngest brother. He raced. He got up to Formula Three Thousand. I think he did some testing for Benison. So he had a you know reasonable career, um, pretty decent one. And I I, I said, Dave, you know, if I want to be racing, what do I do? And um, he said, first of all, think about it for a week and then call me back if you're still serious. <laughs> so I did, I did that. And then we looked at, right, well, am I still young enough to potentially go to Formula One? The answer was yes, but so let's try it. So it How old were you? I was 18 then at that time. So this is, this is latter half of 2006. Um, and then we looked at Formula Renault, Formula BMW, Formula Palmer Audi and Formula Ford. My dad started Formula Four. Formula Four was the cheapest. Ford were offering the most help. Actually, Formula Palmer Audi were. Um, Jonathan Palmer was offering good help, um, but it, those cars were, were really powerful. I think it was, would have been too much for me. My first season. So we ended up. We went into the British Formula Four Championship, which turned out to be, I think, it was one of the mo its most competitive years that year. <laughs> most of the time, were, the top ten were qualifying in, you know, within two or three tenths. Um, it was really tight. Um, but I had a great teammate, Nick Tandy, he's now a Le Mans 24-hour champion and full-time factory driver. He was my first teammate and I couldn't have picked a better team. So, yeah, but it was tough. And my problem was, I mean, I, I only raced until mid-2009 and I stopped because I had a mental issue. I couldn't deliver under pressure. Mm. Um, and that pressure was even at, a, at an official race meeting. So behind closed doors when it was just Nick and I testing and no one watching, I was quick. And people knew that, you know, the, the word spread fast. Uh, but then it gets to the Friday official practice and with everyone watching, all these cameras on me, I put so much pressure on myself to, to deliver, I couldn't do it. And I still get that now, well, to a degree. I've overcome that a lot. 
but it's taken a long time. And, you know, I'd be two seconds off my own pace, spinning and crashing. You know, I, I, I destroyed that car several times that year. <laughs> and then in 2009, 2008, I had, didn't have any sponsors. I did a few races. I think I did four races in 2008. And then 2009, I started the Formula, uh, ADAC Formula Masters in Germany. Um, with a manager over there, he had sponsors for me. So that was, that was fully funded. We did some decent testing. But I think even then my behind closed doors testing started to suffer there because I was, I was getting so worked up that I wasn't delivering what I knew I could deliver. Um, and it got do, you do you think that was, I mean, starting, you were, how old were you when you started in the, the Formula Ford there? I would have been 18, uh, 19, yeah. Right. right. And so by today's standards, that's incredibly old to start. You know, all the all the guys who are in Formula One, you know, NASCAR, whatever it be, started racing when they were seven or eight years old. Do you think it's just lack of, um, you know, pressure and experience, like, you know, missing that eight years old to 19 years old, um, you know, high pressure situations? We'll do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to learn to compete under pressure. I never, never had that. But uh, actually, looking back in polo, I did. I'd never play as well as in a game, in a match, as I would in practice. You know what I mean? But yep. it wasn't nearly as great as it was in a, when I got into a racing car. Right. I mean, there was chalk and cheese, you know, I, 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 I was trying. Um, Nick Tandy will, 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 um, will confirm that. You know, I, I was way quicker than I should have been for my, my level of experience. Um, when I was relaxed, but I, I, I could only do that when I was, you know, when there was literally no one watching, when it was just Nick and I on the track, you know, we'd go to Bedford Autodrome or go somewhere and, yeah, and I think the problem was that I, I knew so many people were watching and, and, and wanted me to do well, and, yeah, there's the standards and the expectations I had on myself as well, my own standards, and when, when I wasn't delivering when I wasn't getting in that relaxed state, I didn't know how to get into that relaxed state. And what I did was just make it even worse. And it was just a nasty snowball effect. So it just got worse and worse. And it got to the point in yeah, mid 2009, I just couldn't take any more of it. It was just demoralizing. I was really, cause I was really unhappy. So I stopped. Right. So what did you do? Uh, what did you do then? Uh, 2009, you, you stopped racing. You had this, you know, burning desire three years one goal to, to get to formula one and then it, it just became too much what did, what did you do after that i tried to move to argentina um so i, I spent a lot of time there in the polo years so i went there for a few months ran out of money came crawling back to mum <laughs> tail between my legs um and then i bumped into someone and who just bought a pest control franchise and and he said, why don't you give this a try? So I worked for him for a week to see what it was like. I thought I could do this job standing on my head. And two weeks later, I was a qualified pest controller, pest control business for two and a half years. Um, yeah, and then I s sold the business. So this was back end of 2012. Sold the business, tried again to move to Argentina. Well, I successfully moved this time. <laughs> um, I had an Argentine girlfriend at this stage. So I lived there for throughout 2013, then we broke up. And it was when I went to a race, I was invited to a race in Argentina. And that's when I realized I wanted to race again. So I looked for sponsors out there. I wanted to race out there and I found one, but it was only like 20% of the budget that I needed. Um, and then actually my mum was, hang on. Yes, yeah, so my mum was diagnosed with cancer in 2011, I think, but I didn't think it was fatal. You know, I didn't think it was terminal. But then end of 2013, she I didn't realize it was terminal until only a month before she died. It was, it was, it was no idea. Um, yeah, I realized I had to come back to the UK, to Europe to race. Um, so I did and that. So that was January 2014, I moved back, or 20, February 2014, I moved back. Um, and, and you put together a deal in England to go race? No, only one. I did a Formula Ford race. I can't remember who sponsored that. Um, and then end of 2014, 
was the so the winter 2014-2015 was the MRF championship. So the Sons of Speed documentary, which is due to be released this year, that was the start of that. So we did the I did the MRF championship, which again unfortunately was a mess. So Mum died in September, and we and this season started in November, or was it October? I think. So I missed the testing, the pre because I insisted that I've driven for so long. Do you want me to compete against Matthias Lauda? I need a good at least four or five days testing. I missed all that. Um, and then went straight in and I was drinking too much and my head was a mess and I drove like, drove like a twat. <laughs> so explain, explain to, uh, to the listeners who don't know that documentary, what that, what that documentary is. Okay. So that is, um, it's basically about Matthias Lauder and I racing against one another. The, um, there's an Indian chap called, called Joe, who's now become a really good friend. He, he, he had the, he wanted to put us in, in two cars together. He's, he's run some racing teams over in, in, in India. Um, and then someone said to him, why don't you film it, document it? And he said, yeah, cool. So that's how it started. Um, so we did that championship and that was supposed to be you know, the whole movie, but they didn't get enough footage. And then Joe's had a Barney with the, with the production company. So it all went, all went legal and pear shaped for a few years. And I thought it was, you know, that was it. It's not going to happen. And then, and then last year, he managed to get all that sorted out. I think another friend came on to invest the final, final bit to for, to get the extra footage we needed. So Matthias and I did a race last year, two races last year in the in the Revolution at Donington, um, uh, to finish off the movie. So that the movie is now finished. And um, yeah, so we got some some clips of Matthias and I racing in the in the MRF, which is like a Formula Renault, basically. Yep. Um, and then the and then we did two just one one round two races at the at Donington in the in these revolution cars last year. Right. Uh, so you you mentioned there you were you were drinking too much, and I mean that's certainly what most people think of. You know, outside of your father's Formula One championship, they think of him. You know, partying. You know, there's all these great pictures of him with a a, pit, a empty pitcher of beer and a, a cigarette in his hand. Um, do you think that reputation had an effect on you in your in your adolescent years or your early twenties? I don't know. I partied pretty hard growing up. Um, hmm. I think I would have done it regardless. I don't think I did it because he did it, and um, because I thought you know he it was cool. I don't think I did that. Um, polo is a really partying scenario. It really is. I mean, we we hit it pretty fucking hard. <laughs> 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 it was a lot of fun um and that's just sort of carried on and then when i started racing i realized i can't, can't do that you know um so it's, you know i worked hard on my fitness and and everything but i still my my head i still didn't i wasn't nearly as focused then as i am now mm. now, now, now i realize you know how delicate the uh the mind is um and how, and how well certainly for me how well I, how much i have to how much effort I have to make to keep my mind, you know, in 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 a focused position. So when I get in the car, you know, I, I, I'm I'm ready. I don't have to say. Yeah, no, I think I think people who don't race, and I think even, you know, even for myself, it's all I can really reflect on is is when I was young. You know, you didn't really appreciate that, um, but then as you get older and and you know you start moving up the ranks and racing gets longer, you realize how difficult it is to stay focused and as soon as you start to go adrift like you know you see the tenths fall off and then you have to bring your bring your mind back to it for sure i i always explain it to friends who are golfers you know imagine hitting a perfect golf shot as you know compared to a racing corner but with no time in between you know do it again do it again do it again exactly yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and as you know as soon as your mind starts to wander off you're not you're not 100 percent committed confident you know, you're losing a few tenths or, you know, a bit of oversteer here or you can't quite set the car up right and and you next thing you know, you're P12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or worse, yeah. So uh, since you've become, um, you know, I guess kind of the steward of, of your, your dad's brand now and you've been learning more and more about his history, going back to the partying, do you think that was overblown or do you think that was appropriate, the reputation he had? No, I think it's appropriate. I th he partied hard, you know. He he drank a lot. He was an alcoholic. 
for mm. sure. Um, I like to believe what he claims that a week before the race, he wouldn't drink a drop and, you know, and he would run every day. He smoked like a chimney, but he would still run every day, rain or shine. And he was, he was definitely was one of the fittest, if not the fittest on the grid. Um, and that is, you know, you know all the other mm. drivers regard that. Um, however, I do get the odd snippet story that, you know, so I met your dad just before qualifying with a beer in his hand. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard a guy saying that at Nürburgring. Um, so I don't know, but I'm pretty confident maybe sometimes he would slip up for a race, you know, and have, have, have a drink or whatever. But uh, I think he, he was really focused and he was really hardworking, really determined. So he was, you know, I think he would not party for, for a few days or a week before the race and train hard. Um, there was one funny story, actually. I think it was the American or the American Grand Prix in 76. It was, so he did qualify and got pole position. Then they got the news of the court case about losing the points for the British Grand Prix at Brands Hatch, um, which was, um, so he was nine points less. Nicky was three points more. So it was in the 18 points. So at that moment, Dad thought the championship's completely out the window. Yeah, it's fucked, he thought. Um, so <laughs> Alistair Corbett thought, well, we're not going to be able to control him tonight, so we're not even going to try. So this was a Saturday night. He just qualified on pole, I think. And um, there was a there was a live band in the in the hotel, and most of the drivers, you know, enjoyed the band. Went to bed at eleven or whatever. Um, Dad didn't. He carried on, and and rumor has it he didn't sleep at all, and arrived at the track and he's still in the same clothes, completely drunk, uh, with 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 the lead singer and one of the backup singers, one of them win the race. Wow, yeah. wow, that's incredible. I mean, I can't even I can't even imagine getting in a Formula One car with a hangover that would be devastating it's not much fun i can assure you i've done it once i drove his wolf um at goodwood this was like three o'clock in the morning at the at the ball on saturday night i had nothing planned the next day but then the owner of the wolf comes up to me and says freddie freddie i'm way too drunk you're gonna have to drive tomorrow i said you're too drunk look at me wow <laughs> I just met a girl as well, so we I didn't really get much sleep that night either. And then the, and the session was at like 9 or 9.30 in the morning. I'm driving this like one and a half million pound Formula One girl up the hill, like hanging out of my ass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things you can't say no to, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, carry it up. So you, uh, are you doing more and more of that? Are you trying to seek out those opportunities, uh, you know, to kind of get in front of the public eye to help out your racing career, going to Goodwood, going to the Festival of Speed? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I didn't go to the Festival of Speed this year, um, but, you know, any opportunity I can, it's just I've, I've been so busy this year. And I actually had a wedding that weekend as well. Um, but any opportunity to drive Dad's cars, definitely I'll take it. I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Most other historics, depending on the circuit, depending on the power of the car and everything, I might not. I might say no just for my health, you know, because they are bloody dangerous. Right. So if it's a, a runoff and good, you know, good safety features on the circuit and depending on the car, I might take it. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think, you know, a lot of people, they like they race, um, you know, uh, historic or, vin or vintage Formula One cars at a lot of the, the F1 weekends. And I think the average fan doesn't realize just how dangerous those cars still are, you know. It's not like the tracks got hardly any any safer, and those cars are absolute death traps. Is that is that the um, kind of agreed upon reason why your dad stepped away after only kind of a six year career in Formula One? Yes, in short, yes, it was his health. Um, he, I think, in his words, I'm I'm not prepared to risk my neck for sixth place. The car wasn't good enough. Had he still been in a front running car, I think he would have stayed longer. But it's his health was always a concern um and he he, he was openly admitted that he, he wanted he, he wanted a short innings get in get your job done and get out while while you're still vertical um <laughs> uh and also losing ronnie in 78 ronnie peterson that i think that was a big blow for him and mm. he really drove just how how dangerous well he knew how dangerous it was but because ronnie didn't die directly from the crash it was broken legs and then but i think it was bone marrow got into his bloodstream or something like that um and he died so yeah i think that hit dad really hard he was a good friend of mine's and yeah hmm. now at that time you know it's not like today's 
Lewis Hamilton's or, or Verstappen's uh, as far as earnings go. What, what what kind of money was he making during those those mid and late seventies seasons? I honestly don't know. I do know that he McLaren says he was the cheapest world champion they ever had because you know seventy five going into seventy six he was you know he was still a nobody so they didn't have to pay him or pay him very much um, and I, and I also know that when he left Wolf. They offered him four million to stay on, and, and had he taken that, he would have been the highest-paid sportsman at the time globally. So I'm told, but he turned it down. Wow, wow! And he turned it down just because that car was so far off the pace. That was Walter Wolf's first season in Formula One. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, exactly that. I think, and it was, it, I think he just had enough. It was just too, it was too dangerous for him. You know, had had it been a you know front-running car. I'm sure the opportunity to win another championship in four million. I don't think he would have been able to turn that down. But right. yeah, he just the best of car, and he was. I think he was. To be honest, I think he was scared. Yeah. No, fair enough. And what did his? Uh, and maybe you don't know, but what did his financial situation look like? Uh, kind of before he died, like having not made up a huge nest egg in Formula One. What did he do after that? I know. I know he was commentating a bit. He was completely in debt when he died, and it was. The only reason I managed to go to pri- have private education was his life insurance. Really? He wasn't, he wasn't a businessman. He lost business. He lost money in quite a lot of business ventures. Oscar's nightclub in in, in Marbella, I don't think that was a success. He had shares. He did put some money into the, which now is successful, racetrack, the Daytona karting track, but it wasn't a success then. I don't, I, apparently he invested in a farm as well at some point. Um, but I think pretty much all of his business ventures failed, um, and he lost all of his money. Wow. You know, he had a really nice Mercedes 6.9 liter Merc given to him by Merc. I know, I never remember it driving. It was always uh, up on bricks because he couldn't afford to run it, and he, so he took the wheels off so no one could nick it. Wow, wow. So, what was your your um, financial situation like growing up? What did your What did your mum do for a living? She was a full time. She she did she did have some jobs here and there, but it was, I think it was a quite a hell of a job looking after me and my brother. We weren't the easiest kids, well, my, me in particular. <laughs> um, she, like I said, my my father had a good life insurance policy, which which paid, you know, bought my mum a house and and paid for my brothers and I our education, but there wasn't much left in the pot after that. So, right. Yeah. So I race in the uh, the Canadian NASCAR series. So very much like the Euro series cars. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, actually I'll see you at Three Rivers. Oh, you'll be there. Nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll have to meet up for a beer or something after or dinner. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah. Are you are you racing that weekend as well? Are you, are... Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, looking forward to it. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a whole ton of fun in that uh, the Nissan Cup there. Yeah, what, what, what's it like? Is it pretty competitive? I mean... Uh, I haven't... You know, frankly, I haven't seen those cars run, but the previous series was the Micra Cup, and it it looked like a string of, uh, like, four-stroke go-karts running, like, just nose to tail. Shit. It's a front-wheel driver. I, I'm getting my excuses out now. I'm not getting front-wheel drive cars. <laughs> Yeah, just keep the wheels pointed straight. That's the fast way around. Yeah, yeah. On the street, I get front wheel drive. I hope they've got insurance, man. <laughs> <laughs> how did uh, how did that that drive for Three Rivers come about? Um, a guy got in touch. They're making a documentary about Gilles Villeneuve, and they wanted to interview me in absence of Dad. Dad played an instrumental role in getting Gilles going to Formula One, so that's why they they got in touch with me and said, "Can you come out?" I said, "Yeah, you know." Um, what's in it for me you know it's a long way to go and they said well we can we can probably get you this race so i said yeah okay cool let's do it yeah perfect well that works yeah that'll be good yeah uh i guess they just announced yesterday jacques villeneuve's gonna race uh with us in the pinty series is he cool yeah yeah has he done much racing in his in his formula one since his formula one retirement or yeah, yeah, I, I don't know the full extent of it, but he I think he did a, at least a full season in the Canadian NASCAR series uh, a few years back, and I've raced against him a handful of times in that series. 
and then he just did the Daytona 500 this year. Okay, cool. Okay, so he's yep. going to be too rusty then. No, no, he'll still be quick. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, so jumping back to your your the reignition of your racing career, uh, I I assume it was no longer that you were pursuing a Formula One career. You you were looking elsewhere. Yeah, I, I realized. I mean, it's probably it was probably too ambitious in the first place without a, you know a ton of money behind me. Um, you know, I realized that it's just not wasn't realistic. I'm not, you know too old and you know may or may not have the talent, I don't know, but I certainly can't deliver it at the moment. Um, 2014 was a mess, and then 20, you know, the, the MRF championship, and then I, since then, up until now, it's just been one-off drives. I tried, I did the Euro NASCAR, well, the first half of the season, then the team ran out of money, and um, turns out they, they weren't even rebuilding the engines and stuff like that, so we never had new tyres, and it was just all a bit of a shit show, um, which is a shame. Um, and then, yeah, just one-off drives since then. Um, invitations, managed to get a small sponsor, did the Road to Le Mans in 2019, which was funded by Texaco, um, which was a success on my part. Unfortunately, my teammate was uncompetitive, um, but that was that was pretty decent. Um, I did a V to, a v, to v at Estoril. That was my first LMP3 race. That was the end of 2018, and that was good. We came second in class, sixth overall. So we're pleased with that. That was a six-hour race. And then last year, then nothing over COVID, nothing at all. Last year, I did one race at Monza in the, in the Le Mans Cup, which was my pace was good. Qualified second, uh, qualified fourth. I was only two tenths off pole. Um, but then, unfortunately, I made a mistake in the race and had some contact and got a drive-through. But that was encouraging. And then, you know, I wanted to do the LMS or, or Le Mans Cup um, this year, and I was... Speak, speaking to teams, really frantically looking for sponsors, but all by myself. And I, I don't have a marketing degree or anything. Um, so I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I'm learning. Um, and, you know, all the teams, some of them were quoting me really nice prices, you know, real pretty much cost prices because, you know, they, they want me. And I, I'm bronze now, so I'm pretty competitive with bronze. Um, but, you know, they still have, they still got a business to run. They can't afford to just fund me. But then... My old manager from 2009 gave me a number. He said, "Call this guy," and it's Hans Reiter from Reiter Engineering. But I hadn't heard of them because they've never been in in the in the prototypes before. So I got in touch with him, and the price he quoted was even even cheaper than everyone else. It really was baseline cost. And then um, got to the first round, and unfortunately, my sponsor still hadn't come through. Um, but, but he had already entered us into the championships. He said, "No, no, we'll do it. We'll do it." And then before the we did the Thursday practice, a uh, Wednesday practice, and on the Thursday, he offered me a five-year contract as a wow as a full-time driver for him. So that's so, um, yeah. But you know that. So yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a, I'm a full-time driver for for writer engineering now, and so this year's just gone from 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 better to even even better. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm still struggling to believe it now. I mean, my life right now is fantastic. I've got a, yeah, um, got my dream house. I'm still haven't quite finished renovating it. It's almost there, but up in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, so I keep keep quiet, keep to myself. I've got a beautiful girlfriend who's in my kitchen at the moment, which is lovely, and my racing career is going well. So I'm a very happy man at the moment. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You can't ask for much more than that. Uh, five year contract, man. That's that's unheard of. And is that is that the team funding that now? Is it is it a like a wealthy gentleman? Um, I think they've got some of their some of their own sponsors or their own private investors. Maybe a bit out of the team's pocket. I'm not really sure to be honest, but I, I imagine it's not an, an endless pocket. So um, it will. We're going to have to find some sponsors. So we are looking for sponsors. Um, yeah. Right, and. Uh, Forgive me if you already answered the question. What what series are you guys planning on on running? That that's a, a full European championship, or is the Le Mans championship? It's the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which runs as a support to the okay, to the LMS, the European Le Mans. Okay. Yeah, so it's okay. one, one hour fifty minute races, two drivers, um, but it's actually become a lot more competitive this year because the rules in the LMS changed last year. 
So you could have a gold, a silver, and a bronze last year, but now if you have a gold, you have to have two bronzes. So most mm. teams are going for a bronze and two silvers. Therefore, a lot of the gold drivers have left that championship and come into our championship. So there's some real top drivers in it, and it's it's really hot. And my teammates, so I'm I'm obviously in the in the bronze. So there's you have to have one bronze as the rule in ours. So most pairings are one bronze and one silver, or one bronze, one gold. And my teammate's silver, and he's a, he's a good, talented driver, but he's never driven these cars before, and he's up against. Um, you know, these, these, some of these drivers have been driving these cars for years. I and mean, we've got Tom Dillman, who's driven LMP1 for three years. And, you know. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough to compete against. And at Le Mans, he, you know, Mads, my teammate, um, held off Tom Dillman and, and beat him. We got, we, we got second place and Dillman was third. So, yeah. Good. Oh, that's great. You're getting to drive some world-class tracks in that series. What, what, are, uh, what are all the tracks that you guys race on? Um, we started at Paul Ricard, then we did Imola, then Le Mans, uh, then we did Monza, and we, we're going to Spa and Portimao next. And yeah, we, and the Nürburgring was a different championship, that was in the, in the Pro Stock Cup. So yes, wow. track. unfortunately we're not doing Silverstone, but hopefully one day in the future. <laughs> right, right, that would be a little closer to home. Yeah. So what's, what's the goal for you now? Is the goal to go... Uh, race at Le Mans in a prototype? That is, that's the goal. So the, for the next five years, um, 2026 will be the 50th anniversary of Dad's championship. The plan is, the goal is to win Le Mans on or by, uh, on that year or by that year. So okay. next year, either another season in this or we move to ELMS. Um, I think if we really had the budget, we'd probably go straight up to LMP2 next year. Um, and then and then on to, to what the World Endurance Championship in 2024. Right. Wow. What are you doing uh, for training in the in the meantime? I'm, I assume there's not a whole ton of races in that series. Are you are you running go karts? Are you on the simulator? No. <laughs> Sim simulator, yes. Well, I haven't got one at home yet, and I live in the middle of nowhere. But you know, if, if, certainly if it's, if it's the track, I don't know. Then I was I'll, I'll go to the sim a few days before flying out. Um, but you know, my training is just fitness training, really. Um, I you know, do a lot of cardio and, and, you know, what upper body strength training. Um, but unfortunately I've, I'm getting my fitness back now, but just after Paul Ricard, I had a karting accident, one well, on accident. I didn't wear a rib protector. I, I went to do two days of cart training, karting for fitness training. And on the first 10 laps, I broke a rib, <laughs> um, it was a oh, yeah. two stroke shifter carts. So I haven't been able to do any upper body weight training. And also just before that, I, I did a half marathon and the last couple of miles, my knee was a bit sore, but I, I knew I was well ahead of my record. I did it in 72 minutes. Um, so I pushed on and I buggered my knee. <laughs> so my cardio suffered. And so, yeah, Monza was, Monza was tough. The last 20 minutes in the car, I was struggling a bit, but I'm, I'm, the rib's fine now. So I'm back in the gym training. <laughs> Right. That's good. So what do you, what do you do in day to day? And you're, you said you're way out, you're way up in Scotland. Do you, you know, golf or hunt or fish or anything like that? Uh, renovating and farming. Um, well, oh, farming, not, not commercially farming. It's just for my own, just for my own, uh, um, my own consumption. You know, I, I'm thoroughly against, um, you know, large scale commercial farming. So I, you know, I refuse to buy any, any commercially farmed meat, but I also refuse to be a vegetarian. Um, I love my meat so much. I mean, um, actually right now this evening I'm butchering, well, I've, I've got to kill a pig after this call because he's got an appointment with the butcher tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you, what kind of livestock do you have at your farm? Just pigs and chickens, guinea fowl, turkeys, and, and one sheep. Um, I was given a lamb, an orphan lamb last year, so she'll be put with, with a ram this year, hopefully, because I thought, great, free meat, but then I was bottle feeding her, and within 24 hours, I thought, shit, I can't eat this thing now, can I? <laughs> so, but hopefully, yeah. she'll, 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 hopefully, she'll give me one or two lambs next year, which I won't get attached to, and I'll, I'll eat those guys. <laughs> right. Wow, that's impressive. So, are you, are you totally self-sufficient as far as food goes? Not yet, no. Um, but I've got I've got a polytunnel with veg and you know I've got potatoes growing and I've got some vegetables growing. 
Um, I eat a lot of cheese, so I need to, it's really expensive cheese. I need to strike a deal with a cheese maker so I can trade some meat for cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I'm almost off grid. I mean, my water comes from the hill. That's completely untouched, natural water straight off the hill. Um, gas, I've got a, an LPG tank. I do have log burners yet to go in, but that'll, that'll heat my water as well once, it, once I get, once that goes in. And once I get a uh, solar panel, solar power, I need to repair the barn first because half the roof came off in a storm earlier on this year. <laughs> and then I'll get solar on, solar on the roof of the barn and then I should be completely off grid. Oh, that's great. So is the goal to be, uh, I guess, live a, a very, um, you know, I guess, inexpensive lifestyle and, and just be a race car driver? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I mean, I've always wanted to be self-sufficient. Uh, I've always wanted a place somewhere remote like this, but you know, not too remote. I mean, Patagonia, I'd love that, but it's, you know, it's <laughs> a 25 hour journey to get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is, this is the next best thing, but I didn't actually envisage having it this early on in my life. I was up here during COVID in 2020 and I saw this place from the hill. I, I was up walking on the hill and I thought, oh God, the lucky bugger that lives there, I'll give my left, left nut to live there. And I didn't realize it was derelict and it was going to be on the market soon. I would have gone and had a look around at it. Um, I can, I'm looking at the place right now where I saw the house from um, two years ago. It's actually two years this month, um, wow. pretty much to this day. And then when I, I, was, I was up here working on a friend's estate, you know, in COVID time, and I thought, I just started looking online at, at properties. I thought, shit, how much you can get for your money up here? So I thought, you know, why not? Racing careers, by good. Because um, no sponsors, I really didn't think I was going to be racing. Again. Um, so I thought, well, what's the harm in you know coming up here a bit earlier and seeing what happens? So, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm up in a glen, up in a valley on my own, but I'm only ten minutes from the town, and riding the ferries are running. I'm only, I'm you know, hour and a half from from Glasgow Airport, so it's not too remote. Right, that's not bad at all. Hour and a half from the airport, you can't complain as a as a race car driver. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there actually turns out there aren't that many flights going from Glasgow. This this time I managed to fly from Glasgow, but a lot I've still got to drive to London and then fly from there. <laughs> right. How long's the trip to London? Can be done in well, once I get off the ferry, can be done in six, six and a half, but that's pushing it a bit. Right. Right. I mean, not the speed limit. That's just no stops and no traffic. You know. Sure. Sure. Um, so I ask. Uh, I've asked a bunch of my racing buddies who I've had on the podcast, if you could race, you know, take the prestige out of any series or the prize money, if you could go race any, any form of racing, any car, what would it be? You know, Formula Ford is up there. Club Formula Ford without the wings. I did a rallycross test once. I really want to do that again. I really like that. That was awesome. Okay. Full contact sport and that's just mad, you know. Uh, and that was, that was great fun. So, yeah, Club Formula Ford racing is great because you know, there's no no downforce, no 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 aerodynamics, so it's nose to tail, and I can I can drive them really well now. I, I remember I entered the Walter Hayes Trophy in 2016, around that time, maybe 2015, and there was like 130 cars entered, and I was in a 1992 car where the engine was down on power, but I was I was I was in my element. I drove that really well. I ended up finishing fourth in class and 19th overall. Um, with a really shit car, <laughs> but I really want to do it with a competitive car now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those cars are definitely fun. I've uh, I've got fond memories of kind of no downforce formula cars for sure, for sure. Uh, since you're now, I mean, maybe not a an F1 historian, but you've certainly immersed yourself in kind of that '70s era. Do you have a greatest driver of all time in your mind? Gilles Villeneuve, I think. I mean, not greatest mm. alone, but the most, probably the fastest and the most exciting, I think. Um, you know, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the battle with him and with René Arnoux at Dijon. Yeah. Things like Yeah, that. that's epic. I read his book as well and just how it started for him. And I just, yeah, he's, he's definitely my, one of, probably my main hero, I think. Mm. And what was the story of your, of your dad kind of giving him a, a nod or, or discovering him to some degree? So that was a race in the former Atlantic at Three Rivers. Um, oh. And Dad finished second or third. Gilles pissed off into the distance. 
And Dad thought, shit, this guy's quick. We got to. And so he rang Teddy Mayer, aka the wine, uh, the team manager for McLaren, and said, we need to get this guy. You know, this guy needs to get to Formula One now. He's really, really good. And so they get so McLaren invited him for a drive, um, and he was really, really quick. And then before they had a chance to get the contract, he he was in his caravan or his mobile home with his wife and his kids, and the phone rang. And um, some strange man on the other end of the line, his, his wife answered the phone, passed it over, and it, who was it? It was Enzo Ferrari. And he grabbed wow. it. Yeah. So he wow. was really that good. I think that was the first time Enzo had ever, the Ferrari had ever hired a, a not, you know, a rookie. Right. Right. And just kind of on the, the recommendation of your dad getting, getting whooped by him. Well, I think it was the performance he did at Silverstone in the, in the McLaren, which did it. Mm. He didn't. He didn't finish the race well because he came in from a mechanical problem, but it turns out it was just the dials. He thought the car was overheating or something like that, but it wasn't. So he went back out and he came out behind the leaders and he, and he had the pace. He stuck with the leaders for the rest of the race, the leading pack um, on his first ever, first ever Grand Prix. Oh, okay. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Huh. Do you, uh, we're almost, almost out of time here, but do you have, uh, any questions for me or any parting words for the audience or any plugs that you need to make for, uh, projects coming up or races coming up for yourself? Um, not really sure. I mean, no, I mean, looking forward to meeting you at, um, you know, in Canada, that's what, in a couple of weeks we'll be there. Yeah. Just a yeah. couple of weeks. Um, no, I mean, just, you know, follow my Instagram guys and, and, you know, if there's any sponsors out there watching, we want to get involved, you know, with, you know, this, this, unfortunately, the sport doesn't run on thin air. Um, <laughs> Not on friendship. No, exactly. I believe I can offer a pretty good return in comparison to, 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 to a lot of drivers. So, yeah, um, need all the help I can get, really. Yeah, no, that's good, man. We'll, we'll see you at, uh, we'll see you at Three Rivers and maybe, maybe uh, there'll be someone there watching uh, who will put you in, uh, in the car. Yeah, cool. Thank you, yeah, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. And uh, take care, man. Cool. Cheers. That was Freddie Hunt. If you guys enjoyed this episode, share it with some friends. I can't believe how big this podcast has gotten just off word of mouth and you guys sharing it. So I really appreciate it. Like and subscribe. See you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>